Dustin Erickson. He's back. Some of you might remember he preached at our graduation last year. He's preached here actually several times. He's a pastor from Phoenix, Arizona, but has pastored a few other places as well. So let's welcome back Pastor Erickson. Wow. Good morning. That was very kind of you to stand. Do they always do that? Okay, all right, good. So, well, hey, uh, good buddy every morning. Or should I say good morning, everybody? All right, how are you guys doing? You guys into the semester? You're getting going? Uh, it's early morning. It's, it's, that clock's not right. It's 8.15. It's, it's 6.15 on my body, which means it was 3.45 when Gordon came and picked me up this morning on my body to come here and be with you. And uh, I'll be honest with you, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than with a group of people who have their Bibles open with a heart ready to dig into God's Word. And I saw you holding your Bibles up earlier. Uh, if you're ready to dive in, say, oh. You want to take two on that? You're like, uh, not really. Uh, if you're ready to dive in, say go. All right, open to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I want to dig into God's Word with you this morning. And I want to dive into a passage of Scripture that really is um, just a powerful portion of God's Word. Sometimes when you guys read the Bible... Um, you'll know that you'll get to certain portions and you'll read what feels like filler. It feels like, well, I know this is God's word, but it's like Jesus went here, he did this, he said to that person, and you start reading through it going, how does that apply to me specifically? It almost feels like a paragraph of transitions. Sometimes you see that in Paul's letters. You'll, you'll get to the end of one of his letters and he'll be like, make sure you say hi to my grandma. Make sure that my friends over there who haven't seen my face in a long time know that I'm coming. And my travel plans, maybe, I hope, will include Spain. And, and you hear some of those details in there and you're like, yeah, I'm reading it because it's in there. I don't understand how that's as inerrant, inspired, and powerful as some of those passages that seem to just like reach out and grab me and pull me in. And sometimes when we look at the Bible, it feels, here's a big word, perfunctory. It feels perfunctory. You can look that up later and see what that means. Essentially, it means it's like it's there, it's necessary, but it's not exactly important to me. And sometimes when you're in God's Word, you come to a passage like that, and, and it's possible that you might see something like that today. Because the passage in Mark chapter 1, really starting in verse 14, uh, seems to include Jesus goes here, he says this, he does that, he adapts to this, he sees these guys, uh, he has this conversation, he goes here, he has this encounter, and let's close in prayer. But what I want you to not miss this morning is one of the most life-changing words that gives us perspective into why Jesus did what he did that's found right here in this passage. You're going to find this powerfully practical if your heart is open to what God would have to say. Now, uh, the guy that wrote this book is who? What's his name? Anybody know? I'll give you a clue. It starts with an M and ends with Ark. Okay, you got it. Good job. Uh, so Mark, you might not know much about Mark. Mark was a guy, did you know this? who almost walked away from Christ. He's a guy that when Paul picked him up and took him with him in ministry, 
He got so confused as he was watching Paul as he battled with dark forces in public squares that this guy who was listening intently to Paul and then listening to the guy that was arguing with Paul, you could read about it in Mark or in Acts chapter 14. Mark got so up in his head, he wasn't even sure what he believed. He abandoned Paul and left him all alone and, and bolted back to Jerusalem to try to sort out what he even believes. Uh, he went, you might say, in military terms, AWOL. But the word that Luke uses to describe Mark, John Mark is his full name, the, the word that Paul uses to describe Mark in the, in the place where he was when he departed is the same word that we use to describe somebody who goes apostate or somebody who completely abandons the faith. So, so here's Mark. He's absolutely confused and rattled by what he experiences, and he's hanging. You ever done this? You ever hung your toes over the edge? maybe of a high dive, and you're standing there, and, and, and the momentum of gravity is just starting to take over. And Mark is standing over the cliff edge, as it were, and his toes are, are hanging over the top. And Christ, of course, who holds us and keeps us and doesn't let us go, yanked Mark back into sound mind. He brought him back to Jerusalem where Peter started pouring himself into him and where this wonderful son of encouragement named Barnabas decided, for the rest of my life, I'm going to pour myself into Mark. And Mark got it. Mark got it. Mark was grounded. Mark is clear-headed. And what Mark writes to us in his gospel is the truth that was tested in his life when he wasn't sure if he believed it at all anymore. And, and, and you need to know that Mark's gospel is really truly Peter's gospel. Because Mark got all the details. Did you know this? Mark got all the details for what he's writing about uh, from Jesus from Peter. So really, Mark is writing it for sure, but Peter is the guy behind it filling in those practical details which Peter was a part of from day one. And so when you see Mark going, and, and Mark's gospel goes really fast, you're going to hear this like immediately this, and immediately this, and immediately this, and immediately this. Mark's not, Mark's not taking a deep dive approach to the life of Christ. Mark is more snorkeling across the top to make sure you see everything that's relevant for your life, just in case you're one of those people who aren't really sure what you believe, or maybe you've been told what you believe, and now you're kind of looking at it going, does this truth really own me? It's not whether you own it, it's whether it owns you. And so when you come to the passage that's in front of us this morning, you're going to see something about Jesus that keeps coming up. In fact, they get to the end. Look at verse 27. After what we're going to read this morning, it says, They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with, what does yours say? Authority. Authority. All we know when we encounter Jesus, is that he's got authority. He is absolutely, completely large and in charge 
over everything in the world, everything in the demonic realm, which is invisible, everything in the life of everybody he touches. Everywhere he goes, the one final thing that everybody is clear of is that Jesus has authority. You see it again in verse 22. They were amazed, that just keeps happening, (laughs) they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having what? Authority. Jesus' actions and Jesus' words, listen, grabbed hold of everyone who encountered him and it laid claims on their life. He is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And so you really can't reckon with Jesus and be like the meh emoji. You know, the, you've seen the meh movie? You, you can't look at Jesus and be like, yeah, okay, whatever. You, you can't do that. If you are confronted with Jesus, it changes everything. Now, to speak of authority means Jesus is in command. Jesus is over all. Now, yesterday I had this incredible opportunity. I, I was in a place where, where I saw some serious authority. You probably don't know yet, though it's right down the road from you, that a couple of hours away in Omaha, just south, in a city called Bellevue, is an Air Force base. Now, I got to sit yesterday with the top leaders in our nation who oversee everything about our nuclear deterrent system, STRATCOM. So I got to be in the room. It felt like I was at the UN. There's this massive room. I have a screen behind me with my presentation on it that was as tall as your ceiling is. And, and I had all the people. They're over all the bombers. They're over all the submarines with ballistic nuclear weapons. They're over global strike. They're over the silos. And, and these guys are the ones who, you know, the key, turn, bang, mushroom cloud. That's these guys. And what was fascinating is every time you walk in through any portion whatsoever of that building, you are confronted by somebody in authority. And if you don't have the credentials to pass and the authorization and the clearance, you're not getting in and you're going to go somewhere where they'll never find you, right? And so I'm confronted at the entrance point and they're checking me for any kind of like, do you have a thumb drive? Do you have a cell phone? Do you have an Apple watch? Like I'm being scrutinized and picked through completely. And then I take another step and I go into this place and it happens again and again and again. Now, what happens is there are four-star generals and four-star admirals and three and two and one-star people. These are the people who could destroy the world. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not sure I should be that close to this button. You know, that underground bunker where the president goes in a nuclear situation, all that kind of stuff. So I'm in there. I'm in the bowels of this building. And I'm actually teaching them tools that point them ultimately to Christ but as, So then the moment comes where the four-star general himself is going to descend because he's coming to the meeting. And he's sitting right about where, where you are. And so I'm, I'm telling this general for two hours, pay attention, sir, because I have something for you. Like me, I'm doing that, right? So, so we're there in the room. But, but as he comes down, all of a sudden, I don't know what's happening around me, but the energy of the moment is changing. Everybody's like scrambling into this, this position right here. And all of a sudden, I see, here he comes, General Boussier, walking right towards me. 
And I'm like, it's game on, right? So he comes right up towards me. He's got that laser eye focus. And he's got people who, whose sole purpose in life is to hold his pen and his glasses while he talks to people and takes pictures. And he directs, and you know what happens? When he directs, people move. When he walks into the room, it's just like everybody becomes pencil tall, stiff, solid until he's like, you guys can relax a little bit. What did I see when I was there? People who understood what? Authority. And it's like that when Jesus, not when Jesus walks in the room, you're like, sir, yes, sir. That's not what we mean. Jesus is coming into our lives to change our lives. And when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. Now, could you imagine that general walking through his space, walking through his facility? And he walks past somebody, and somebody looks up and sees the four-star general and is like, whatever. They would never find that person again. They'd send them to some assignment in Alaska and mail them their clothes. There's a respect, and there's an authority. And what Mark is showing us is here comes God. God in human form is standing in my space. He has walked up right to me, and there's something about my life that he has rights to lay hold of. Now, if you notice, getting into the text in verse 14, it says, Now after John had been taken into custody, John who? This is John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, after he had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Now, the gospel of God is the mercy of God, where we who are sinners, who need to be rescued by the power of God and the grace of God, experience life change, but Jesus takes hold of our lives as Lord. And this is his message, ready? The time is fulfilled... And the kingdom of God is at hand. So what? Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, students, look up here. There's one word in there that is absolutely essential, and it's probably not the word you think. It's the word time. It's the word time. There's two words in the Greek language for time. One of them is chronos, which stands for what kind of time? Chronological, right? One second, two second, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. That's chronological time. You're ticking time off the clock. That's not the word here. The second word, kairos, is the word here. And watch this. It doesn't refer to chronological time. It refers to this moment in which everything that you're now confronted with is about to change everything based on how you respond. That's the word. Everything in your life is about to change based on how you respond to this moment. Sometimes we translate this word season. Um, I'm in a season of suffering. That is to say, if you were to look at my life, we're not talking about what day it is on the calendar or what time it is in the morning. We're talking about this moment of my life where here I am and I am confronted with a cancer diagnosis 
or I'm confronted with a, got a call while I just arrived here, a dad whose organs were, were failing from somebody in my church. Uh, unexpected, came home in a seizure, uh, unresponsive to the hospital, all the organs shutting down, blood pressure dropping, oxygen at zero, gone. Well, that was a Kairos moment. This sweet, precious girl who's just come out of, of, of cutting and eating disorders has finally come to Christ, has now confronted as a brand new believer her first Kairos moment. This is a moment that's about to change everything. And what's going to happen based on how she responds, there will be a path or a trajectory that her faith will take based on what she chooses to do next. And there's different Kairos moments, and by the way, the big question that you might want to write down now and think through as I'm talking to you is, is what Kairos are you in right now, and what does God want you to do as a response, okay? What Kairos am I in right now, and what does God want me to do in response? And here's some examples as you're thinking. I could be in a season of or a time of waiting. God, I'm looking for you to do what only you can do, and I'm trusting. Or I'm in a season of testing, like Jesus was in the verses right before the ones we're reading now, where he was taken by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. You could be in a season of learning, where you're just growing and you can't believe that you get to study the Bible here. You could be in a season of pruning, where it seems like God is cutting away all these things in our lives that we depend on, but that drain away our energy and keep us from trusting in him. You could be in a season of joy or blessing, a season of doubt or despair. You could be in a season of abundance or worry. You could be in a season of lack or a season of growth. You could be in a season of rest or you could be in a season where you're under attack. You could be a se in a season of humbling or you could even be because of foolish choices in a season of humiliation. But look, in every single kairos you're in, you know what the Lord does? He brings you to the point where now he steps into that and says, it's about me. It's about me. What kairos am I in and what does Jesus want me to do? Well, he answers that question for us so that you don't even need to try to guess. Look at what it says here. The kairos is fulfilled. You're at the point uh, where this moment that defines you is now in front of you and the kingdom of God is at hand. So whatever the answer is, it has everything to do with the kingdom. Everything to do with what's eternal. Everything to do with letting go of the things that don't matter, which is about to be what James and John and Peter and Andrew are about to do. And then he says, here's where you start when it comes to setting your heart on kingdom priorities. Repent. Repent. So the first thing that God wants you to do when he confronts you with a kairos, that, that moment that defines you, is ask the all-important question, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from doing what God wants me to do? Is there anything in my life right now that is keeping me from what God wants me to do? Because every kairos moment calls for you to draw near God, which means to run from sin. The second thing he says is believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Change your mind, which results in a change of life. Turn around and go the other way than what you've been going. And place your full faith, the full weight of your confidence in the gospel. 
And so that's, that's where Jesus is going. So the question, students, is this. What implications does Jesus have as Lord over your life, the sovereign authority? What does he want you to do in response to the season you're in right now? You say, well, I don't, I don't know what season I'm in right now. Guess what? God is in charge of all the Kairos moments in your life. Every single day, everywhere you go, you are moving from one Kairos to the next Kairos to the next Kairos, sometimes even in the same day. Maybe you're moving into a moment of temptation. Maybe you're moving into a moment where you have to decide, are you going to continue to compromise and hide and fake it? But you can't hide and fake it from Jesus. Jesus is coming right for the throat when it comes to his rightful claim as Lord on our lives. <clears throat> now, let's go back to verse 14 and ask the question, what kind of kairos is John in? John the Baptist, it says in verse 14, has just been taken into what? Into what? Custody. John's been arrested. Now, did you know this about the John the Baptist? Like, like think about John the Baptist. When you think of John the Baptist, you don't think of words like wimpy. Lame, soft, uh, cowardly. When you think of John the Baptist, you think strong, bold, faithful, courageous. And John the Baptist, listen, look, look up here, students. This is so mind-blowing to me. This is crazy. John the Baptist prepared his entire life, even before he pushed out of his mom. John the Baptist was set apart by God to be the forerunner for the Messiah, which means his entire purpose, his entire identity, his entire life are for one thing. Everybody look at Jesus. So, so your whole purpose, John, is to be a signpost, not me, him. Just point your finger at the Messiah and tell the world that hope has come and tell them that they better get their hearts ready. And by the way, do you know what I want to know John's message was to everybody? It goes like this. The time has come, the kairos has come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. It was the same message. John was saying, I'm telling you that kairos is coming. Jesus says, I'm telling you the kairos is here. And so John has been taken into custody. Why? Because he took his strong, bony finger and he plunged it into the pudgy chest of Herod and said, let me tell you something, sir. You are under God's law and this immoral, wicked relationship that you have that we all know, you had your brother killed so you could steal his wife. You will answer to God, sir, and you will come under judgment if you don't repent. And he didn't like that message very much. And so John has been arrested and put in jail and in a few short days is going to have his head chopped off. So you might say that John is in a kairos of suffering. Would you agree? He's in a moment right now where he's even at a crisis of faith. And, and Luke tells us that right at the same moment, John sends his disciples to Jesus saying, are you really the Messiah? Because if you're not, I'm wrong about everything. If you're not, 
My whole life has been wasted. If you're not, and I've been telling everybody you are, I've misled everybody, and if you're not, I'm about to go into eternity super unclear about where I'm going to spend it. So John is in a kairos of suffering. He's in a kairos of confusion. He's in a season of doubting. And that might be where some of you even are, getting rattled a little bit, not sure what to think, not sure where this thing is going, not sure what the future is going to be. And you're going, what's the message for me? Answer, the kingdom of God is at hand. Answer, repent and believe the gospel. John receives one little scrap of Isaiah's prophecy from Jesus, and it's enough. And what happens is each of these Kairos moments, Jesus not only lays claim on our life as the sovereign authority, but he gives us his hope and he gives us his truth to get us through. So now, I, I say that to you because the timing element here is so important. The timing element is as Jesus is moving forward with his strategy and plan to lead everything to where it should be, there are different people who have different implications based on what Jesus is doing. He might be doing this in John's life, but if you'll notice, he's doing something very different in the disciples' life, before they're the disciples. Look at verse 16. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. This is also Peter. This was his name before Jesus changed it to Rocky. And they're casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And look what happened, verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Instant change. Instant followership. Now, while John is about to die, and he's in a season of suffering, and by the way, do you know how long John ministers? Like his whole life is prepared for minister for how long? Do you know? Six months. You've prepared your entire life to minister for six months, and then you're dead. Jesus said he was the greatest man who ever lived. But John's kairos is now resulting in John going to heaven, and there's a new kairos moment for Simon and Andrew. This is not a season of confusion and suffering. This is a season of opportunity and responsibility. Now, you need to know, Jesus, sometimes you see this in the Jesus movies, right? You see Jesus kind of gliding along the beach. He doesn't even, like, his head doesn't even mop up down. And he's, like, glowing, you know? And he, and he has this serene look, and he turns, and he's like, follow me. And they're like, oh. And they're like, we'll follow you, Jesus. And they look like zombies following him. That's not what happened, okay? You, you need to understand, in John chapter 1, Jesus had visited this town already, he had gotten to know these guys, and they had seen enough of Jesus where they're like, we are convinced you're the Messiah. Like, pull us in. Where do you at? Where, where, where do you stay? I mean, we want to come and follow and see and learn. And Jesus is like, well, why don't you come and see? And he invited them to look into his life and listen to his teachings. So these disciples that are about to follow Jesus had already seen enough of Jesus that when Jesus comes and says, follow me now, all of a sudden, they're looking at their nets. They're not sure how Jesus and the implications of who he is fits into their life. They're just doing what they've always been doing. And then Jesus comes and says, you know what? I'm putting a new calling on your life, not fish, men, let's go. When the sovereign Lord with his perfect authority comes and says, you follow me, what do you do? 
you immediately drop what you're doing and you go. And some of you, God has a calling on your life that he is pressing on you right now. All of us have a calling in our life. All of us have a unique purpose put here by God. And if you know Christ, there are opportunities that he has in front of you where he wants you to set aside the earthly things that you would normally otherwise give yourself to and invest in the kingdom. See, it comes back to the the kingdom. Verse 19, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets, and immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. What's happening here? Jesus does the same thing. They knew who Jesus was. They had a belief that he was the Messiah. They weren't sure how it all fit yet, but the sovereign authority of the Lord prevailed on their life. They're actually in the boat right now, in the middle of work. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And so they're like, see you, Dad. Because Jesus' authority, Jesus' everything is compelling enough to let go of anything else. And if he lays claim to my life, it is nothing for me to drop it. And so one of the questions you need to ask is when it comes to the Kairos thing, not only what, what season I'm in and how do I need to cling to God and hold fast to God and repent, but what opportunity as I leave that behind is he calling me to? He's calling me to something. What is that something? It's something kingdom is what it is. Now, can I just say for you for just a moment, when you look at these disciples, I wouldn't have picked them. Would you have picked them? I would not have picked these guys. You know, when you get to the very end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is like about to go to the cross, and he's praying to the Father, and he's sweating great drops of blood, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, Father, can we have another go at this? Like, the disciples are all fighting about who's the greatest. They're a bunch of knuckleheads. They don't ever understand anything I taught them. One's a terrorist, and one's a right-wing conspiracy theorist. Um, I got people in there who don't get along with anybody at all. And James and John, you know what these guys are? These guys are racist. They go into the city of Samaria, and, and, and there's a group that doesn't really care for Jesus and doesn't want to really provide for Jesus. And James and John are like, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus is like, I don't even know what spirit you're of, bro. Here, let's start here. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Like, you got these crazy guys who are, they're rough, they're crude, they're type A, they're bold, they're strong. They're, they, they always put their foot in Jesus' mouth. Peter's always going to say no, Lord, to everything Jesus does. Which means when God calls you, that doesn't mean you're like the most amazing version of yourself that he wants you to be. He actually takes you into a season of training to make you what he wants you to be. But that's a kairos. That's a kairos. Then, is that my warning? Is that my bell? That's my bell. Okay, so let's finish strong then. It says, then they went to Capernaum, verse 21. He goes into the Sabbath. He begins to teach. And they're amazed. And then lastly, verse 23, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. This is a demon. This is a demon. Jesus grabs hold of this demon. And in fact, there's multiple demons because verse 24, these demons are confronted with a very different kind of kairos. They're confronted with a kairos of judgment. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Who's the we? This guy has multiple demons crushing and destroying this guy's life. And, and these demons want to throw this man away before he gets to Jesus so that this guy can go to hell forever. That's the demon strategy. Use up your life, absolutely waste it, destroy it before you can believe the gospel. And here comes Jesus. So for this man, this is a moment, a kairos of mercy. For these demons, this was a kairos of judgment. Big finish, look up here. Here's, here's where it goes. You can't escape who Jesus is. Who Jesus is and what he has done brings you to the moment that changes everything. Some of you are standing before Christ and it is a kairos of suffering. Press into Christ. Some of you are standing at a place where you are confronted by a host in the invisible realm who want to destroy you, destroy your family, destroy everything about you. Run to Christ. Answer's the same. And for those, even like this man was and these demons are, one day we'll be confronted with a kairos of judgment. And before that day comes, you must, 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 must beeline to Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen? Amen. Father, I don't know what each of these students are going through today. I don't know which kairos they're in specifically, but I do know that you're the sovereign Lord with ultimate and perfect authority. I do know that you have claims over all of us, and I pray that, that we would not be stubborn and resistant, even like that man with those demons who are pushing back so hard against you, but like Peter, John, James, and Andrew, ready, so ready, so willing that what we have seen and heard is more than enough. Lord, we press into you this morning and thank you that we could be in your word. In Jesus' name, say it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Erickson. Excellent job. I appreciate your teaching, your teaching heart. Bring in uh, the book of Mark.